podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend of Neil Atkinson with Adam Melia. It's huge infrastructure news, huge infrastructure chat. Melia is in the house. Uh, it was an accident, but I reckon Liverpool saw our bookings and they thought, yeah, we'll do it today. I've also got Alison McGovern and I've got Steve Evans to talk about Liverpool going to Arsenal and maybe some stuff on infrastructure as well. Uh, I want to start the show by saying uh, we are doing a live show, a live show at On Air on Saturday. Uh, you can buy the tickets from Sea Tickets if you just Google in the, well, search on Sea Tickets' website, uh, the Anfield Wrap. You will find it. Uh, Seven pounds in. Uh, all the money goes to Nathaniel Leahy and his family. Um, you'll find out more about that in part two as I talk to David Wafer about that. Lizzie Doyle's chatting to Ian Sam about some plays he's got coming up and bits and pieces around that. And we are going to talk about Liverpool versus Arsenal. But do come and see us before the match on Saturday at On Air uh, in the Baltic Quarter. Uh, we will be going on at about half past one. We will be finishing off about three, three fifteen. Loads of time to get to Anfield and go and enjoy the match and the perfect warm up to that. Um, there's a certain number of people who can get into Anfield on Saturday. Uh, there's news breaking that it might become more at some future point. Adam Melia is a man who is very, very committed to the Anfield Road redevelopment. Is this good news or bad news? Uh, is this news? <laughs> is it news? I suppose that's the question. I was, I was. So, so you text me before. To say we're gonna we're gonna be able to do some infrastructure chat, and I was really pleased. I was like, brilliant! They've announced it, and I clicked on it, and they still haven't. So that's really what I. But that that my main feeling is, generally, I still think this is a good thing, and I would like it to happen, and I would like them to say what it is and when it is. The thing, so so the what it is appears to be, it will be more than was previously anticipated. I think that is a significant thing from the announcement. It's now bigger. but it's the when that you want to know the answer to. Yeah, I mean, there is, I think there's, I see, I don't like the, the two-tieredness of announcements these days, where there's the announcement, which I've read, which doesn't say anything about that, and then there's the briefings, which are happening, which, as as a layman, I'm I'm a lame uh, Jens's lad. <laughs> uh, I don't get. I, I'm not privy to any of that stuff. So, I mean, I'm just reading it and thinking. So, so the thing is, is that I, it's become a bit of a, a, a running joke. Is that I'm obsessed with this Anfield Road expansion, and I've tweeted Peter Moore that many times with a picture of the Anfield Road and blah blah blah. But the fact that I've done that means that it's quite easy for me to check how many times I've sort of an almost announced it, and so that's quite a few. Uh, and so. I would like there to be a little bit more meat on the bones of this Just, now. I'm because gonna... the, 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 I get that... My question, I suppose, is if the outline planning permission hadn't been about to expire, would there have been an announcement today? Exactly, right? This is not really an infrastructure announcement. This is a procedural planning matter. Yes. <laughs> no, I agree. I'm I, terribly sorry to be I the know. boring one in the room. No, no, I mean, infrastructure is boring enough, never mind procedural <laughs> planning, but uh, it, it's not. And that's why I'm, I guess that's why I'm not, the my, my, the infrastructure fire in my loins has not exactly been lit because I was I was looking to see them well, announce something which would tip them over the threshold of 60,000, which means they're going to actually have to improve the infrastructure. Well, because infrastructure but, really... But I think, so well, if we if we go right the way through here, there is, the, the, the briefing is, and you can see it from the thing that's in the echo is that it's going to be over Liverpool's record attendance yeah. which is 61,905 for those of us who are counting uh, which would therefore suggest it will probably be over 62,000 now I think one of the issues is until you go through the planning process the consultation process you can have the ambition and intention of doing that or maybe even doing something more but you can't actually put the number on but if you allow the idea 
that it is going to go beyond that, yeah. then you are actually in an infrastructure chat. I get that. And I understand that they are... I'm desperately th- trying to light the fire in your loins. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, I, I think we are getting there. And, and I understand that the, the club certainly don't want to be seen to be riding roughshod over local residents. So they have to go through the consultation process. Fine. It's just that... I, 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 it's just that you want to know when we get it. to talk trains, right? Yes. That's the situation. Exactly. Yeah, what, yeah. Although how, how, actually, do I, how do I get back from the match to, t- to town easier? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really care about the Anfield Road end. Never I never have. <laughs> Exclusive. <laughs> you care about you care about getting back to the match getting back to Sam from the match quicker. Yeah, you know, that's it. Yeah. It's just it's, it's all it's all about me really. Well, all right, then as someone who may have a lot of knowledge of the procedural planning of this, Alison, when do we get to talk about trains? Oh my goodness. Okay. Well the the train problem is is quite significant because basically as we're seeing with HS two at the moment like you can you can talk trains for quite a long time without actually putting any spades in the ground much less bits of steel in the ground 35 year plans basically isn't it right so so you we could start talking about trains you know now and we could still be talking and talking and talking because you know the average new railway line is about 10 years in the planning in any case personally speaking i think we should be less excited about <coughs> trains if we want to get back from the match to town quicker and be more interested in better walking routes and like sorry to be all like this is this is exceedingly boring content neil so feel free to like <laughs> no i'm into step it in. honestly this is a real this is a real this it's a real barrier for for the listeners to clear and i want i want i want to know that they're with us i want them to say basically i want you to if you want to tweet me just at what minutes and seconds you're packed in and fast forward it's go on okay so the thing is trains take a long time to plan they they take because you when you if you're thinking about putting new railway infrastructure in it's you, you don't just get to build a new bit of train set this is not the yeah. kind of like wooden brio that everyone's who's got kids has at home you can't just like take it all apart and like add that bit that you want right you've got to think about the whole network effect of what you might do so actually if we're thinking about how we reduce the number of people needing to drive to the match i would say the question they should be asking themselves is how do we have like a big, wide, well-directed path? It's not that far to walk between town and Anfield. But the reason why loads of people don't do it is because it's not very convenient. You have to like cross massive big roads. Yeah, especially as you get closer to town. Yeah. It's almost like, oh, you know, where, where, where how do we do this that doesn't cross a, a four, six lane Exactly. Motorway style in in, in, in a, you know, inner city motorway. Exactly. Like, so I think we should like, the actual conversation should be about better walking. What routes. about a travelator? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a mechanical that, device. I don't know how long they take to plan. <laughs> I mean, travel travelators are easier, but anyway, and dare I mention trams? But, but you know, you'd you'd want any sort of train-related ideas to be part of a general. Let's improve. Mm train services in the North Liverpool area rather than just no, an isolated no, I, do. I do yeah I want the loop line I completed. bet you do I do yeah. <laughs> honestly we're, we're getting closer and closer we're getting closer <laughs> and closer to, to solid loop line and infrastructure chat uh, the number matters Steve I think this is an, an important part of this the opportunity for the area as well matters and I think that any improvements in the infrastructure would hopefully lead to, uh, to, to, to the area of Anfield and that's why the consultation with the residents are important but the number matters as well I think you know, at the minute, you can't get enough people into Anfield. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the idea of being able to go north of 62,000, maybe even push on to 65, that's the sort of talk I actually want to hear from the club. 
Definitely. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the ideas are being mooted around. If they're going to put an extra 4,000 seats on the Anfield Road originally, it just didn't seem like it was almost worth the, worth the hassle, really. Um, especially now, the club's stock has probably arguably never been higher, um, really, at the moment. Worldwide, I think we're probably up there with, with, the, with the massive big guns back again once again. So um, I think it's vitally important that the, the, club, the clubs look at it and try and utilise as much of it as they possibly can. Um, not necessarily mass day revenue, but, you know, it's it's... It's just it's just growing the growing the game as much as they can. Growing the Liverpool Football Club as the brand as much as they can, and getting more people on the ground, especially now with Champions of Europe, is is vital sort of doing that. Um, just on that, we shouldn't. We are always very very demanding. If they do it, stay. It mm. goes over. You know, if they put it over 60, 65, say let's say sixty five. I'm plucking that figure out of the air. Could be sixty two. Could be could be less. But if they were to do it, we would then end up in a situation where the cop was the smallest stand mm. and you know, maybe I'm going to start tweeting Peter Moore with pictures of the cop with arrows <laughs> off it uh, in an Adam style and that the cop probably shouldn't be the smallest stand and that's something for everyone to think about but there's obviously loads of context in that conversation. There is and, and again, it's 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 how forward thinking do you want the club to be? I mean, if, if they're going to look at how as big, go as big as possible on the Anfield Road then you'd like to think there is someone looking at the possibility of that. I mean, I... I uh, as a QSI, the building site that's behind the cop that's building houses on the QS for that site. So we've had some dialogue with with the with with the club about what's going to be built around their commercial. This is almost like a perfect confluence of yeah, experience in this conversation. Yeah. I mean, the commercial space in front of that the estate we're building is, is right behind the cop. So we've had obviously some dialogue with the cop. The space that's next to the cop is meant to be is, is possibly going to be a nice hotel, a hotel of some kind. Um, and there's just been you know, we we have no privy information towards whether they could extend the cop or not. But there's certainly people looking at that idea I imagine when they sell Liverpool and if there's not you'd be, you'd be disappointed there's I guess my thing is I suppose that that you you can't help but compare yourself to other to other other clubs, I suppose. And every time every time we sort of add another piece, it's already you know five years down the line, and other things have happened. And so like you know, Tottenham is the mo- the most recent one, and that that did seem to have a bit more a bit more of a complete holistic vision in terms of what they did with their stadium. And so so I think they they may have been faced with a similar issue where the, the like the big the big end of their ground was the bit that wasn't going to be able to develop the most or whatever. But they 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 ended up flipping the pitch around, didn't they? You know, de- de- developing the whole thing, um, you know, closing one bit of it for a, for a year, and that that sort of I suppose that that in com- complete vision is what I was maybe hoping for a little bit more of. Um, and I, the, the, the main that goes away from what what I'd the, say the ownership did at Fenway Park, for instance. I think they very yeah. much want to renovate that, and they're going to make that sort of. I don't think they're ever going to make that ball move, whether they're rightly or wrongly. I don't yeah. think they're ever going to see that. I don't know. It's just it, it, it's the it's just the the, the the speed of it all. It's it's just been it's been it has been a long a long old time basically, and I would have liked it to have been a bit. If faster. someone sat here now from the club to say we did just open that main stand in twenty sixteen, you know, lads. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but just I, I suppose I, I'm they, with you. In they that need ball. to say what they're going to do next. I, I, I think that's, they that's will. The thing that they, they've, like I said, but, but before at the top of the show, they, they've only announced this because there's, because something's ran out of time. So that doesn't happen very often. I think that you I, you run out of time. It's a long time they give you on them. I'm a bit more glass half full than Adam must admit. I think it's it's a signal of intent that they are going to be list. They are listening to what fans are saying they are the, the, the 4,000 original plan isn't going to be good enough or big enough and they're looking to push fair with, with you know at least it's kind of kind of a verbal agreement that we are going to do something I understand that the frustration at the timeline isn't visible for anyone there's no big design and big big sort of how we're going to do it and what's it going to look like but then you know for me it's, it's a small step in the right direction I just hope the other, the other small steps come quickly 
Uh, I, like he, a, I like a CAD drawing. I was saying this to Neil on WhatsApp before. <laughs> I like it when the Echo just prints a CAD drawing that someone's done. Yeah. Here's Liverpool's 200,000 capacity stadium. <laughs> <laughs> some Edge Hill students done on CAD. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They do it with the railways too. Um, so they, uh, finally, I suppose for me, that Anfield is our thing. Like it's not just about kind of the the the, the getting of of, of of the the waiting list in, uh, which is really important, and getting of you know the the kind of the next generation in who've been locked out, which is really important. I think that, that there's an opportunity for Liverpool to uh, to welcome all of those people plus everybody else around the world that wants to come and see the Anfield thing, and and I do think that sometimes. The, the the club underestimates itself. You see it when you go around the world, don't you? Mm. Uh, we all underestimate the club possibly, and there's there's an opportunity for it to be the biggest because I think the, I think it is the biggest, but it just doesn't look like the biggest. And I just think that there's no downsides to making it bigger and bigger, and they just need to be a little bit more lofty in their ambitions. Okay, uh, thank you very much indeed to uh, to Steve, to Adam, and to Alison. That was indeed the perfect set of people to have had for this. And as I say, that is pure coincidence. We had no idea that was coming, and this was booked some time ago. Uh, anyway, anyway, coming up is Lizzie Doyle speaking to Ian Salmon, but also uh, I spoke to David Wafer about Nathaniel Leahy and about our event on Saturday. Indeed, I am joined by David Wafer, who's a friend of the Nathaniel Leahy family, and I'm going to talk to David about that now. All the uh, door from our event that we're having on Saturday at On Air uh, will be going directly to the them uh, so we'll be sorting that out uh, it will be as simple as that every single penny that you pay uh, other than the booking fee will go directly to them it won't go anywhere else and to explain the the the, the condition that Nathaniel has uh, David's coming on to join us and and talk us through and David you've been you've been trying to support the family now for for, for a period of time and this this condition is, is is practically unique and it sounds you know absolutely horrendous yeah, Neil. Uh, first of all, I wanted to thank you very much for, you know, when I reached out, you've been very keen to, to get involved. You know, Nathaniel and his family, you know, are, are massive Reds, uh, first of all. And, uh, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, he, he, he's one of us. It was only a few months ago that we were um, visited in, in, in Zoe's place, Nathaniel was, um, by um, Oxlade Chamberlain, in which he was kind enough to donate uh, £50,000, which the LFC Foundation matched uh, to help solve a funding crisis in Zoe's place. But Nathaniel himself, while the support of Zoe's place and all the hay and so on has been has been remarkable, you know, the sense of urgency that we need everybody's help, and that's why we really appreciate yours. Nathaniel's got a condition which, as you've already mentioned, Neil, is, is unique. He's considered to be the only child in the world with this um, very, very rare form of epilepsy uh, known as a, a mitochondrial condition. And it means that he can have up to 100 fits a day. The strain that that puts, not just obviously on Nathaniel, but on his wider family, emotionally and financially, is massive. His, uh, his mum has had to give up work. His dad is obviously trying to juggle work at the same time, spend time with his family. And, uh, you know, th there are some times when, you know, we ultimately have to, you know, be, be bold in terms of with a sense of urgency to do everything we can um, to try and raise every single penny. So, you know, I've reached out to as many places 
as possible, you know, and all the pennies and pounds, not just from the uh, the, the gates, but any other uh, amounts that people can donate. We're just in the process of resetting up another Just Given page, so people can have a look out for that. Nathaniel Leakey, um, that will be. Um, and uh, I know on, on Saturday's event, um, I, I can't be there, unfortunately, but Jennifer Powell will be there to tell you a little bit about uh, Daniel's condition uh, for the event. You know, so hopefully uh, it'll give you a little bit more detail in terms of you know really as a call to action why we need to help. The the strange the strangest part of this is you know having since meeting you and having read up about it is is the first first and foremost when he was you know when he was originally born he was absolutely fine for the first few months of his life and yeah. and suddenly sort yeah. of this 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 hits when he's when he's about three three months old and since then it has just been these these you know up to one hundred seizures a day which just you know sounds absolutely unbelievably agonising for him but also for the family looking on as well and trying to as much as they can find any way shape or form to to alleviate the pain. Yeah, Neil, I think that, you know, when as I've looked into it, you know, a bit more, that the condition in essence is, is partly through, through genetics, so it will have always been there, but and that lots of us can have conditions that are then never kind of come to fruition, they're kind of there in the background. Um, and in this case, sadly, Nathaniel, you know, from being a happy-go-lucky uh, little, uh, you know, three-month-old, has then had a, had a seizure and a fit and since then it's never really stopped so you know i i can't even really from from my perspective as i'm sure anybody else listening can imagine the absolute agony of seeing that you know time after time day after day um i know only uh, a couple of weeks ago when they needed to reach out for another expert opinion uh, which in this case was in the states because the condition is so rare uh, that they're having to literally you know contact people right around the globe who might have some experience of this condition but that costs money and that expert opinion in that case costs 1500 pound and so you know everybody was scrabbling around and donating what they could to be able to get that money uh, to be able to help nathaniel and his family because the financial burden the family are under as well because obviously you know like like we all would you know that one of the parents would you know would be there at all times yeah. to try and support nathaniel um then you know it, it's really important that you know we uh, we do what we can to support them as well uh, okay so the event on saturday uh, at on air which will start uh, doors will be from half past 12 you can come in uh, from then we will be selling we'll be raffling an andy robertson signed shirt more than happy to do that uh, and all money from that oh, will also go to the cause uh, for nathaniel and his family so uh, if you do want to do that we will be sending out as well we'll be linking out to the just giving page and making that available through all of our social platforms as well so all of that is available for you if you can't make it to the event but you do want to donate there is the just giving page there as well as i say there's the raffle for the Andy Robertson shirt and do come to on air on Saturday uh, Jennifer will also be speaking about uh, Nathaniel and what the family have gone through that'll be there at the event but also we'll be having a big chat about Liverpool before the game against Arsenal it's on air it is Saturday uh, and doors are half past 12 and we will be on stage from ha- at half past one and if you're all filtered off at three o'clock there's loads and loads of time to get to the match thank you very much to David and I uh, hope to see everybody Saturday and I'm now joined by Ian Simon, who you're usually hear um, on the weekend itself and on other shows. But we're just going to do a little weekender segment with Ian, because as you know, he is a playwright and author. And he's got a couple of things coming up that he wants to let you all know about, uh, which basically when you're in the city, get yourself along to. They're always good to go and see. Uh, Ian, 
I'm going to start off with basically you're going to be away for all of September. Basically, yeah. You're not um, going to hear, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be present at all. My, my entire September is going to be um, one production of a play and a month of rehearsals for another play. So two things going on at the same time. I'm basically going to be in rehearsals, despite obviously I don't act. I, I'm purely there as the writer. Uh, I'm in rehearsals from nine till six, Monday to Friday for four weeks on the biggest project I've ever done in my life. Do you know what though just before we get on to what it is how like rewarding is it as a writer so when you start putting those words to paper and you have this idea you have this image in your head and then all of a sudden there you are you're doing four weeks worth of, of long hours in a theater in you know probably liverpool's most one of liverpool's most prominent theaters um seeing it all come to life it, it's incredible. I mean, it is. Um, the theatre that we're doing this in, the actual performances in October that I'm in rehearsals for in September is the Royal Court, and it, it's Liverpool's most prominent produ- producing theatre because obviously the Empire is there for touring shows yeah. and big musicals, and which this is. Um, but this is Liverpool's biggest actual producing theatre, producing new work all year round. Um, so to get to that level, um, it, it's something I've been looking at for the last five years. Um, I, I got an award from a, a Royal Court competition in 2015. Um, and I've wanted something on the main stage ever since. It, it's a main stage where you know, it used to be a gigging theatre. So I saw I saw David Bowie play there. I saw yeah. U2 twice. I saw R.E.M. three times. The Bunny Men are a million times. It's somewhere I've always wanted to have something on. And to do this, the, the level I've kind of been working at, a lot of self-started stuff, um, self-produced, you get a four or five night run and then the show was over for a year. And there's always that frustration that just as you're really getting into into the rhythm of the show and everybody's on top of the performances and the audiences are there, it stops and you have to start again a year later. With this, it's an absolute, this is actually a month's worth of shows. There's 25 to 26 performances, including matinees. So yes. it, it's a massive thing. It's the... It's the the proudest I've been of getting a production to this level. Um, I've got other work that I'm, I'm equally proud of in terms of the work itself, but in terms of this is an event, this this is massive for me, this. And just going on to what the play actually is, because we haven't mentioned it, I remember when uh, I used to work at Radio City and you come to me with with the idea of, of this play and I was... I was really interested from the beginning. And I also got to meet the stars, the the women who this is based off. Uh, and the play is called Girls Don't Play Guitars. Now, what I love about this is it's so deep in Liverpool's like roots and music heritage. And it harks back to the Mersey Beat times, the Mersey Beat culture, the 60s. But it's not all about the Beatles. And by that title, um, if you don't already know, because I didn't, it was a f- all-female band with yep. guitars called the Live Abids. The world's first all-girl rock and roll band. Amazing. Um, there have been other other all-girl bands at the time, but there were all-girl bands like the Supremes, which were just three vocalists with backing musicians. This was four girls who played their own instruments um, and they didn't want to be like the Beatles, didn't want to be like Jerry and the Pacemakers, they didn't want that Merseybe feel. They were a proper R&B band, proper old school R&B, so Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, that kind of thing. Absolutely excellent musicians. And it's a it's a massive story that's so interlinked with Merseybe, but it's, it's one of the great untold Merseybe stories because nobody knows about them. Because what we have here is a play about four girls who start a band in 1962. In 1964, they go to Hamburg and they basically never come back. They're massive in Hamburg, they're massive across Europe, they're massive in Japan, but they're not known in England because... 
they'd gone. So by the time Merseybeach really hitting the big time in England, they're already in Hamburg. And the life they lived is the life that anybody who's ever wants to be in a band wants to live. And it's a life that's bigger than most people will ever live. The, the people they knew, the people that we look back on and regard as icons and superstars were their mates. They were just people they hung around with at the time. And it's, it's a startling thing because it's, it's from a time when Girls didn't form groups. It just didn't happen. Um, and certainly not groups that were completely autonomous. And you've got four girls here. Three of them are 18, one's 17. By the time it goes to Hamburg, three are 18, one's 17. Amazing. When you start the band, three of them are 16 years old. So they actually moved to Germany to live on the Reaper Barn and play at the Star Club, which, you know, anybody who knows the reputation of the Reaper Barn, this is four teenage girls going to Germany in the 60s and making their life there. And so, how many people was it took those people, like those girls seriously at that time as well? And I know they've gone to Hamburg and they moved away, but I think the fact what you've told me about them makes it a little bit more revolutionary is their ages. And at that time, like you said, women weren't known to pick up guitars. They weren't known to play drums. They weren't known to be creating things off their own back, doing what men done. So for what they achieved at that time, it was actually... An incredible story. It's staggering, and when you speak to them, they they didn't see it as anything unusual. There, there are two of the girls who are still with us, who have sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, but you speak to Sylvia and Mary now, and you know, one of the privileges of doing this over the last two three years I've been writing it is the fact that we got to know them so well. These are friends of ours now, um, and you speak to them, and at the time they didn't think that they did anything special because they were just they they looked at the ba- the bands playing the cavern. And they went, we won't do that. So they did it. And it was that simple. It wasn't a case of, we won't do that. Yeah, but girls don't do that kind of thing. They did it. They just did it because it was the right thing and because they wanted to. And in terms of being taken seriously by people, the title, because I couldn't call the play The Live Birds because there's already been a TV series and a play of that name. So the title, Girls Don't Play Guitars, isn't a comment on them. It's a comment that John Lennon made to them in the dressing room of the cabin. <laughs> when they said that they were going to form a band, they were talking to John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and John said, don't be daft, girls don't play guitars. And so they did. So this is one of the things that they were determined to do, just to prove people wrong. Yeah, they, as I said, the, the people, they weren't particularly friends with John and Paul. They, they were friends with the Rolling Stones. They were friends with the Kinks. Um, it's not they, bad, is it? It's not, not bad, bad company. <laughs> you know, smoking weed with Jimi Hendrix <laughs> because Mary, who doesn't smoke, rolled the best joints in Hamburg. They, these are things that actually happened. These are the, We had a... Um, a design meeting yesterday as we speak um, for the final design of the stage which looks phenomenal and we were talking the the entire stage crew and the designers through the pace of the story and you sit there and go yeah I didn't make any of this up this sounds ridiculous everything you hear sounds like it's a story that someone's made up but it's better than any, if you made it up no one would believe it but these 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 four girls did this incredible stuff and at the same time were absolutely excellent musicians and and they they, they sound like ringo always made this point when the film backbeat came out that the beatles were a punk band all the bands playing in hamburg were punk bands because they were so raw they sound like a punk band they're they're a garage band they're they're dead raw Excellent musicians and really good repertoire because they're doing things like um, obviously Roll Over, Beethoven, but um, Too Much Monkey Business, Diddly Daddy, Peanut Butter. A lot of famous stuff, a lot of fairly obscure stuff, but really, really full throttle R&B. And 
their, their story is just it's unbelievable it's, it's one of these things where um i was interviewed last week the girls were interviewed and i was interviewed by stuart mcconey for a, a bbc segment they'll be on bbc northwest tv in september and when you see when you hear me tell the story it's me telling the story. When you see the girls tell it to somebody else, they just sat there with their jaws dropping because <laughs> you, Sylvia can sit there and say, we're going to the service station. And Brian Jones went, there's a live bird. And if you're going to drop a name of a stone, you might as well drop Brian Jones's name. That you know, They were mates with all these people and, and, and they were respected by all these people as musicians. It's fantastic. I was very lucky to, to meet both of them. Obviously, like you say, two of them passed away, but I was very lucky to meet them and... I just want to, my, my experience of meeting them and hearing their stories, mine was the same and it was just so casually dropped into conversation and what I really like about them is how humble they are and rightfully so and, and they were like Scouse nans, they were like your nan and yeah. you can't beat a Scouse nan um, and the fact that they went and done this still blows my mind and I, I feel guilty that I, I don't know about them and sometimes I feel like this city isn't you know, it needs to take a little bit more responsibility for showcasing these stories and, and its history with music and, and put it on a pedestal because guess what? We're bloody good at it. Yeah, we are. And it's it's something that, you know, um, one of the things I've put into a couple of plays, one of the things that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about those two weeks in a bit, but one of the things I want to put in that is you don't know what people's lives were. So you look at a 70-year-old woman in town, you know, going to go the shops, going to the restaurant, whatever. It's a 70-year-old woman. You don't know what she did. You don't know that you haven't just passed somebody who smoked weed with Jimi Hendrix. It's, it's you know, like it's when they found uh, Tommy Lawrence, remember, on yeah. Northwest Tonight, and they went, we just want to ask you about your memories, and he went to plead. Yeah, plead. It's, it's brilliant. You, you don't know who you're passing. You don't know what their life was. And if they're 70 now, they were 18 in 1964. That's at the crux of all of teenage life change that's one of the most important and most exciting periods of history and and the fact that we we've been able to tell the story they're actually now seeing their story being told them not just their story but the story of their two friends who you know they they were they never fell out their entire life the band split up in 68 um for circumstances they're obviously covered in the play um but they remained friends for their entire lives and they are still very, very close friends, the two remaining girls. And they're seeing their story actually go on stage. Now, we're, you know, it's a, it's a big theatre. We're running for a month. A lot of people are going to see their story. They've never heard of it before. And the, the other thing about it is the actual production, uh, I've been working on it ever since um, the Royal Court commissioned it in January of this year. I've been working on it with Bob Eaton, um, which isn't a name people outside theatre land will necessarily know but Bob ran the Everyman Theatre in the early 80s and he uh, originated the John Lennon play Lennon with Mark McGann in it uh, so this this idea of, of gig theatre, actor, musician theatre Bob basically was part of the invention of this so this is a full blown musical, the music basically hardly ever stops because we've got a four girl band who are all playing their own instruments live on stage. So everything that the girls played, the four girls who've been cast them will be playing that live. And they're phenomenal musicians. You know, I like to think I'm a capable, adequate guitarist. And I'm looking at these girls going, why can't I play like that? <laughs> and, you know, I'm 30 years old and I've had more time to practice. Why, why can't I play like you? They're incredible. And 
beyond behind them, we've got a full backing band of six six actors who will also be taking part in the show. So we've got ten people with instruments on stage. The music hardly ever stops until there's a couple of dramatic moments where it needs to stop. Um, but it's it's a full it's a full musical theatrical experience that's telling this entirely true story that people haven't been made aware of before. And it is something that, you know, I've, I've been very passionate the last couple of years since my, my mate Paul came across this photo of these four girls sat on a ferry holding guitars and went, who the hell are these and why don't I know about them? And did a bit of tracking down and he found out that Mary, who was the bassist, um, she remained in Hamburg and married a music publisher. He was actually a singer, a songwriter when she married him, uh, became a music publisher, a uh, guy called Frank Dostel. So he tracked him, he tracked him down and, and spoke to Mary through him as the first thing. And it was kind of like, you know, this is the story's built from just one person seeing that photo and all these little connections. Mary's husband, Frank, wrote the song, Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie for Baccarat. No. Yeah, which is, which is, you know, that's as incredible a thing as you would want just for one thing in your life. It's cool. Sylvia's husband was in a band with the brother of the two lads from ACDC. They lived <laughs> with them for a while. It's, it's all these little connections through mm. Germany. It's absolutely unreal. But to be able to put their story forward in front of people, absolute it's a it's an honor it's a privilege it's one the absolute it's one of the greatest delights of had in my writing career to date i think it's absolutely fascinating so just just tell everyone uh where you can see it where you can buy tickets if you can yes or where you'll be able to buy tickets so where it's on when it's on how do they go and see it well you can definitely buy tickets already and um, went on sale about a month ago it's on liverpool royal court um it's upstairs it's the big room um so you've got basically your downstairs and two balconies fantastic space lovely stage um it starts on the 4th of october which brilliantly is my wife's birthday and Sylvia's son's birthday. And it's just before, I think, Leicester at home. So people it is will just be before over. Leicester at home. So people, people will, will be over. over. You've got no excuse. Yeah, because I've actually had both the girls ask me if I can get tickets for them for <laughs> the 5th of October. Because, yeah, girls. They, 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 they've got family who would, you know, Mary's got German grandchildren who want to see Liverpool play. Boss. So it's been left for me to try and get tickets now, which isn't the easiest thing on there. <laughs> um, so 4th of October, it's the 2nd of November. It uh, doesn't play Mondays because theatres are generally dark, as they call it on Monday, i.e. closed. Um, so no Sundays on Mondays. Um, but Saturday afternoons, Saturday evenings, Tuesday to Friday, um, 26 performances, tickets are on sale at the Royal Court website. So if you just Google Liverpool Royal Court, you will get to their website and you can get tickets from there. Brilliant. And we'll give you a reminder of that uh, a little bit more towards the time. And very quickly, because uh, we have to wrap this up now, but uh, you've got your other play, which you have been on here talking about yeah. uh, those two weeks, which if people remember when Ian come on, um, it's a play not about Hillsborough, but leading up to the time um you know the time to Hillsborough and it's basically about how normal life is yeah. and was and about like life in the 80s really yeah very, very much so it's um it's not the Epstein from the 18th to 21st September and the Epstein's a, a gorgeous it's old lovely. theater it's really lovely it's like watching a play in 1960 it's isn't fabulous. it fabulous brilliant place um and we're delighted to take it up there because once again it's the biggest room that this is played and it's going to be the last time we do this um it's it starts on the 1st of April 89 and ends on the 14th basically around about midnight on the 14th so it doesn't cover the day because I didn't want to write a play that was about Hillsborough itself um I, I don't have the right to do it I don't 
have the right to tell the stories of those who have lost all their families. And Jimmy McGovern's obviously already done that brilliantly. I didn't feel I had the right to tell my brother's stories. My brothers were in the end pen. Um, I had, my dad was in the main stand. Um, but I didn't feel I had the right to tell the stories. But the right, the story I felt I could tell was what it was like before and what life was like for a normal Liverpool family. Because one of the things that came out of the inquest was the pen portrait showing everybody's individual aspirations and dreams and hopes and the working class Liverpool that I grew up in was a working class of aspiration and hope and the intention that your children do better in life than you did which is still very much the working class ideal it's how we all live we want our children to do that a little bit better than we've done and the one thing you can do is make sure they're set up for life uh, it's about a family who are in that position um, new girlfriend just come in based on my own wife um, and, and, my, and my life early life with Jeanette uh, Evertonian girlfriend entering into a Liverpoolian family obviously everything that comes from there but there's something that happens within the family that splits the parents up and it's how they deal with that and it's very much about the fact that even when life is absolutely normal life can be really really hard um and i I wrote the play to make a point about how life was at the time and to make a point about how certainly my family and i think my generation um react to the events of the day but not by covering the events of the day um so it, it's how we feel about but how fortunate we are about how how easily your life can completely change um obviously you know there, there are there are people who have suffered far more than the majority of us ever suffered and people who fought for far more than the majority of us have ever had to fight for and the play is is very much to say we know how easily it could have been any of us. Mm. And that is on from the 18th of September to the 21st of September at the Epstein Theatre in town. And again, just go to their website to get your tickets. Um, Ian, thank you very much and um, all the best. Thank you very much. Neil Atkinson, John Gibbons, having a chat about our new friends at Last Fan Stand. And we like new friends, don't we? We like new friends that we feel as though we've got shared values. I'll tell you that for nothing. <laughs> yeah, we do like new friends. We also like games. Uh, I've been playing. Love games. I, I, I go as far to say I've got a mild addiction. Uh, to last fan standing last night I was driving home I actually pulled over so I, yeah, yeah so I could play at 7 o'clock <laughs> that's absolutely glorious how'd yeah. you get on uh, good yeah smashed it yeah yeah good um, so got them all right so pleased with that so basically the, the the games I can talk about it with a lot more authority than I could last week because of it I've played a lot more and you're now hooked yeah 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 because yeah, I'm now addicted because I'm now, yeah, you're now yeah, pulling yeah. your car I mean, as, as addictions go it's a fine you know it's, it's, it's a reason as vices are yeah yeah you yeah you know I've definitely got worse I think, it's, I think it's a good vice for you to have as you approach fatherhood <laughs> you know what I mean it's a very fatherhood friendly vice yeah, I'm basically going to clock it yeah uh, which is, which is uh, <laughs> an old school give me the game phrase um yeah, so um, so basically, there's a game every night at three for seven o'clock, and then you win passes to play in the in the in the sort of cash games. So I uh, I was one of the the share winners. I think there was three of us last night. Oh, who got yeah. them all, got them all right, and uh, so we get a pass to play in the in the cash games. But the reason I am so hooked is that I actually won cash money. Uh, Did you against? Uh, I tell you what, this is all news. To, this is literally news to me. So, so they do. Uh, so they do these, as I say, games every night at seven o'clock, and then three hours before kickoff, they do a predictor game. Yeah, and that's that's basically where the 
where I've realised where the you know the real the where real the action source, is where the real action is. Yeah, you know you can you know the, the night ones are a bit of fun where this is this is the, the serious players. So f- it's it starts three hours before kick off, but you can play any time between that. So say Liverpool play half five on Saturday, which they do. The game will go live at half two. Okay, and then you've got three hours, and it's basically predicting what you think is going to happen in that game. Okay. Um, so, then, so is this? So, are you now playing in this weekend's one, or did you play in last weekend's game against Southampton? I, w- I was a winner at Southampton. What, what, how, how did this happen? So, I, I basically because because my extremely uh, high football knowledge. Neil. So, what, was, what did you predict? So, it's things like okay, so it's things like uh, will Jordan Henderson start? And now obviously, you can get a bit of a heads up on that. But the other stuff, stuff, stuff that happens in the game. So, uh, so how many Liverpool corners in the first fifteen minutes? Uh, will what you know? Uh, will Liverpool score in the first thirty? Uh, um, stuff like that. It's 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 stuff to do with kind of what happens in the game. So, so is that why you were devoured when Salah got caught offside first ten? Yes. Okay. But, so that was yeah because that was because basically one of the things was will Salah get caught offside in the first fifteen minutes and I thought he, he probably won't. You know, chan- probabilities. I went for no and he did. But then what I didn't realise also, which is now this is me learning about the game and then explaining it to everyone else. It works quite well. Is you get you get so many lives. So so um, so basically, if you, it's, if you get there's eight questions, and if and you've got you've got, I think I have three lives. I've used them all now, obviously, because I'm hooked. But um, if you get one wrong in the first four, then you can you get a new you can use one of your lives and kind of go back in. So I basically got one wrong in the first four. Thought I was out. Threw my phone across the the, uh, the room and had to concentrate on the actual football. And then um, didn't realise I was back in. And then I got the rest right. So I went five to eight, clean clean sweep, and uh, and scooped the cash. I'm very impressed with you. I'm really, I'm really, really happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm so, very impressed with you. Honestly, I am genuinely impressed. Yeah, and I had the money by Monday in my account. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's good fun. So so yeah. So I mean, so last time I was doing it, I only really talked about the night games because I only really played Honestly, them. I've been looking at the pop ups going. Oh, I'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the the night games. You know, you you play live. You play at seven o'clock. Whereas the the, the, the ones the predictor ones for the weekend, um, you know, allow you. You've got basically got three hours to play, so you can play it a bit more at your leisure. And, and as long as you've got your, you submitted your answers before kick off, then you are, and you can win actual money. So wow. Okay. I've also got. Um, Got unduly um, stressed by my ITK score, uh, which is basically how what percent of questions you get right. So, so what do you um, want? I'm on eighty three percent at the moment, um, and I'd obviously like it to be higher. You want to be more in the know? Yeah, I do. It's funny because you know when people say to you, "Oh, how many Twitter followers have you got?" and you're like, "I oh, don't know," and then they go, "Oh, you do," but I genuinely don't know. Like I know roughly where it is, but I don't know. But people don't believe me. Yeah. I know exactly what my ITK score is. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit like, you know, when you start to get ratings on Uber and then someone says, you've got an Uber rating you now? And you're like, no, no, that's the, just the drivers. And then someone goes, no, no, they rate you as well. And you're like, suddenly start panicking and trying to find it. Yeah. So for a while, I was uh, I was very concerned with my Uber rating. Whereas now, it's me, uh, it's me, I can score. And at first, I thought, I'm not going to be bothered about that. But you are. Now I am. Yeah, really, really interesting. Am I getting stuck in tonight? Now it's good. Yeah, seven o'clock. Uh, so go on just before, and um, yeah, your man talks you through the game. It only takes six minutes. Yeah, so yeah. So I yeah. can do it like you, you, you can pull over and play, and um, <laughs> like I did. But yeah, no, it's um, it is good fun, and, and yeah, the, the game's good, and you so can win stuff. You download it from Google Play, Apple Store. Yeah, it's it's available. Uh, so if you just go to lastfanstanding.app, uh, lastfanstanding.app on the internet, and it'll take you to the to the Apple or, or the Android or whatever it is you want to do, and uh, and yeah, just get the good. There's an Anfield app group on there as well, which is quite cool. So you can um, you can get in amongst that. And there's like a, a chat feature so we can talk to each other and stuff, but also, yeah, you can play against each other so you can see how you're doing against fellow Anfield Rap subscribers and not just, you know, everyone else. 
honestly, this now feels like it is going to take over my life. Uh, <laughs> thanks, John. Well, there's only uh, one game a day at the moment, so it's all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's good fun. It's a good laugh, and also like you know, you're you're, you're very much cut on the same cloth as me. These things is the uh, the winning. The best thing about winning is that you get to win. Oh yeah, that's the only thing I'm interested in. Really. <laughs> I mean, that's so, always yeah, my. Outlook. So the cash on Saturday was nice, but you know, but 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 even last night, just winning that token, yeah, I was I was still made up. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. The best thing about winning is getting to win. Is, uh, is, is right, me. Uh, right, excellent stuff. Well, is right, John. Uh, last man standing. <laughs> uh, last fan standing. Uh, go and get involved. Welcome back from all that. Uh, lots of stuff fed right the way through there. We are going to talk, though, now about Liverpool versus Arsenal. And Alisson, the problem with them all being big games is that they're all big games, but this is a big game. Uh, and I'm aware that like it, not the, the, the battle between Liverpool and Manchester City is not just making time insufficient. It also appears to be making language insufficient. This is a big game, but then they're all big games. Uh, for sure, you can't have a serious plan to win the league without wanting to win every game. And, you know, in seasons gone by, I can I can remember going into games like this. And, and yeah, I mean, actually, we like, we've got quite a good record um, against Arsenal, Touchwood. But you'd you'd be you wouldn't be thinking so much that every single game had to be won. I, I can't remember in a season before, to be fair, even at the beginning of last season to a certain extent, I can't remember having such a focused sense that every game had to be won. You'd, you'd think, you know, there's, there's, two, there's two types of games. There's those with the people round us at the top, if you like, the mini league, where those are really big games, but frankly, we're playing excellent sides and Arsenal now are, I think, a pretty good side. We're playing excellent sides, therefore they're going to be very hard to win. And then there's the other type of game. There's the kind of Burnley, this the Stokes, where actually you think, well, we really should win this, but actually we can always... Um, cock them up. Now there's there's none of that. We've we've got to win. We've got to win the games of those around us, and we've we've got to win all of the banana skins as well. There is no space for any cock ups, and that is a level of pressure that is well. I would say it's unprecedented in my life of thirty years watching Liverpool Football Club, and now I feel old as well. <laughs> It is, Steve, it is exhausting, I think. And I think it is, you know, exhausting, but then simultaneously it should be exciting. I really enjoy Arsenal coming to Anfield. Mm. And that's, and it is almost that sort of, oh, here we go and it's another one. And here we go and it's another one. And it's another one. And we are, you know, we are going to have to find a way to pace ourselves. And I'm talking here about the supporters. I think the players are in, yeah. are in much better nick, if I'm honest with you. I think as supporters, we're going to have to find a way to pace ourselves. But then, this is a big game. It's half five Saturday. It's Anfield. It's Arsenal. It's going to be great. Yeah, Arsenal at home all away will always be a massive game for us I mean I had Paul Senior on the, the the main show the other day saying he, he spoke to a couple of lads at Southampton away and they're both like I don't think I'm ready to do this again yet and I, I can totally relate to what he's just saying because you know we kind of lived through every sort of, sort of header and, and kick and, and tackle last season and it was proper mentally draining I was, I was glad the summer came along eventually to have some mental downtime but you know, once again, watch the game on Saturday, and, and, and the second half is especially the last ten minutes. It's it's hard to attack here again, but Arsenal will be a tougher proposition than we were last year. I imagine. I think they've improved. You know, um, I think that the players they brought in will certainly make them a little bit more robust. But you know, this historically has got goals written all over it, and uh, I can't see it being much difference at the weekend. I, I just think that we'll have a little bit too much of them going forward with what they've got at the back. Um, well, I'm obviously hoping that's the case anyway. Bank holiday weekend. Mm. Um, if you're not going dancing afterwards you're doing it wrong um, it is it, it feels part of all of that that context gets lashed in uh, Adam whether we like it or not again as living supporters but you'd also I think maybe 
I think it's odd. I expect to see Liverpool turn something on somewhere during this game. I expect to see the sort of 15 minutes that devastates sides. I expect all the obvious things to expect, but it's no it's no different for the fact that it's it's, it's Arsenal. Yeah, well, to be honest, I think Arsenal have got a big a big mental issue with with coming to Anfield since the five one. Uh, it's almost at Everton levels. Uh, but having having said that. Uh, I do think that it's got all the makings of a classic, and there's, there's there's certain things about it that that make me think it might be tighter than than it's been in previous years, albeit with the amount of goals. I, I can see, you know, a high scoring Liverpool win, high scoring for both sides though. Um, so it, it, yeah, like I say, it's it's it is one of those. I think it is probably you know if I was if I was the neutral, it'd be it'd be one of the the, the, the fixtures I look for during the season um, because it, it does always seem to throw up so much entertainment. Uh, just generally good football, you know, it's played played in the right spirit and all that sort of thing with drama and things like that and all, all the rest of the things that's, that that the neutral wants, I believe. Um, so <laughs> I mean, yeah. who are these neutrals? I, yeah, that I we're supposed know. to care about. Who really about? is neutral? about anything yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so it, I, I, in terms of the, the the bigger season picture as you say Neil I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite there with feeling that kind of uh, that the, the 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 tortuous uh, slog of, of, of it all yet I think good I mean, I, no because I, I really did last season I sort of struggled to enjoy it and this it's season in, I'm in, in the post mate don't I know I'm enjoying it a bit more I think I'm, yeah. I've decided to to, to, to to take a bit of an old fashioned view of see if we're in it at Christmas I expect us to be uh, see what see what else is going on you, every season is different you don't know what you don't know what the other sides behind us and City are going to do and uh, we're not even sure what City are going to do yet I think I know what we're going to do and I'm really you know super confident that we're going to be better than most teams for most games and that that will usually be enough so I'm, I'm uh, you know I'm really I'm looking forward to this game I'm looking forward to Burnley away I'm looking forward to you know whoever else whoever else we've got Sheffield United away all that sort of stuff yeah Steve you say you expect Arsenal to be a little stronger it's worth pointing out they've gone to Newcastle got themselves the 1-0 it felt like it was significant for them because it was away from home but you know you've only got to look back into last season and look back at the way in which the games both played out and also the underlying sort of numbers behind them that repeatedly Arsenal were going to places and were looking like even if they didn't they could ship two they could ship three they could ship four and that's that's the challenge for them and we're, we're talking about this being a big game for us and it is in the context that all of them are but for Arsenal they've got so much to prove I think I think if you imagine being in that squad right now it really yeah. is we can't forget even to an extent the result we can't go there and look like we're made of crisps we've got to go there and not look like that this season I think that was their main objective this season they've obviously got the attacking threat they've got a fantastic front line as we all know they can score plenty of goals but uh, they, they needed to be a lot more solid at the back. I mean, when I watched the two games, uh, the second half of Burnley Saturday, I watched that, and I watched the Newcastle game, and they did still concede quite a few chances. You know, it wasn't sort of all plain sailing. Newcastle had a few, Burnley definitely had a few late on, and it could have been a bit of a different story. Uh, but you think, um, you just think, I'm not too sure they'll come and settle the same way as they did last season. I think they came and had a real good go first ten minutes, and they started very well. Probably one of the better sides I've seen for that first few minutes. Um, and will be definitely give us a, a ton of time on the left. But there was <clears throat> the mentality side of them. Once that we could, they could see the one, then it was always sort of written uh, and sort of scripted that it was, it was always going to be going to, to, to three and four, and that's been their big problem, really. That that that, that Alison, that aspect of it, when when Adam said before as well, you know, they never quite got over the five one, which is really strange because I don't think you know how many of the players are actually still playing from the five one now. But Alison, you do feel like that's that is a thing like it's in some way sort of ingrained in them and now there was a lot of players who were playing in last season's 5-1 and I do wonder that I think that they may want to be more robust mm. but there's being more robust and then before you know where you are somehow Liverpool have made a 2-0 and everyone's looking at each other all over again and you're back in the horrible place yeah I think that um, 
uh, Emery mentioned that this at their press conference that that you know he was specifically asked about Anfield and and how they felt about it and he was saying you know it's like a really difficult place for us to go and like psychologically it's something that we have to get over before we even get on the pitch um they've obviously tried to, to you know do do good good business in the transfer window and everything so you I would I would you'd expect this group of players to to have done a serious amount of work in terms of preparation for that because the thing that they don't want more than anything else is to concede early right if they concede early that's that's a pretty big problem for them so that means they've got to be like mentally focused the 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 transfers in need to show you know their metal um and and show why 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 they've got something to offer um, Arsenal and no, no better place to do it than Anfield. So I, I think like we'll know a lot about the game from you know the first twenty minutes. I think one of the things we might see the first twenty minutes, Adam, is Arsenal just just try to not have conceded by the end of the first twenty minutes. I'm not not, not to say they'd sit deep as such, but maybe not take not do so much risk reward stuff. Instead, let's not do much risk, but let's not have much reward either. Let's sort of accept that that's the way in which it's going to go. That's what I wonder we might get. But I think it might be a game that goes through the gears, is my point. So I think it might be a game that Maybe. speeds up as it wears on. That and that that um, would obviously suit Arsenal more. It remains to be seen whether they can whether they can play another way. And I suppose that's your point about Newcastle is that they got they got a, a gritty 1-0 win done there, which is, you know, a big thing to sort of tick off if you're trying to be a proper serious team is that you need to be able to manage the game manage time manage difficult manage time crowd. I think manage time is the big thing for them coming to Anfield that's yeah. what they've been really they've bad at they never looked yeah. like they could and and to be honest I thought that they were really good at the start of, of, of last season's uh, last season's game um, and that as, as you say there was that, that risk reward stuff uh, was was never more on show than, than during that, that evening um, where they you know they they, they could have scored once already before before Maitland Niles does score, and and then but it's just it, it's right it's it's right in front of me as well. It's it's, it's on our side where they're tra- the trap they're trying to set and the trap they they managed to set. But you can just see Liverpool figuring it out. You can almost see the cogs going round in I think it's Lovren and definitely Trent's brain whether they, they know they're being targeted and they know that if they play out of it we're in and then we're in and then we're in and then we're in. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's uh, it's it, it, it whether it's 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 that's the challenge for Arsenal I think. That, that Liverpool, if you know, if it was the thing of, can we play you every week? I think I would pick Arsenal at home probably, <laughs> <laughs> because it, because it's a big game, but it's one which I just have that much faith that, that Liverpool will get it done. So it's and there's there's a huge thing there which Arsenal have to have to do to get over that fact because that is that that is a, a real thing that 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 that, that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a huge actual and mental thing in front of Arsenal which there isn't in front of Liverpool it's much much tougher for Arsenal uh, Adrian in goal Van, Van Dijk centre back Robertson left back Fabinho Henderson centre midfield uh, three up front um, Stee who's playing centre back who's playing right back and who's the other midfielder do you agree with what I've gone started with there by the way I think yeah I do Yeah, that's what I just said down before I think it's Gomez centre I think it's Gomez centre half with his pace I think obviously they've got um, Aubameyang who's rapid uh, they have got too much aerial threat which I think uh, Matip will cope with more so I think I'll go with Gomez centre half I think it'll be Trent right back uh, I think it'll be Fabinho Henderson and Wijnaldum because I can't see him starting Oxlade chain with three games on the bounce at the moment I think and the, the front three picks itself uh, anyone got any advances on that anyone wants to do anything expect or would do anything different <coughs> no I mean I take the I take the point about the the Gervis Matip 
uh, decision. I, I think I would, I, if it was me, I mean, Jurgen Klopp might disagree with me. He's welcome to do so. But I think I'd be playing uh, Joel Matip just out of experience and solidity and uh, just almost, as Adam said, just like as a player who you expect more to be able to work Arsenal out to to have those cogs going round. Um, but um, def- definitely Trent. Um I don't know. I'd like. I'd like to see Oxley Chamberlain start. I, I, I would. Too. I thought he'd be fantastic. I, I would. Not Liverpool, but I just yeah. don't think he's got. He might have the legs to start three in a week. I know he played half and take. Yeah, I think so. I was just. I was thinking about Gomez and and, and thinking. About, you know, I, I generally am a, I'm a fan of, of of picking Gomez in all in all situations at centre half. I, I can sort of see the the logic behind playing Matip um, this time. Uh, it's it's just a question about your midfield, isn't it? Like every 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 week, we sort of mm. we sort of say this, and and that we're we're in the nice position of of, of, of uh, any of the midfields he, he does pick. I'm not going to be yeah, I'm not going to be like not him about any <laughs> about anybody really. Um, I think I think Oxley Chamberlain would probably be unexpected. But I, I, as I was driving here, I was thinking oh, it would be nice if he if he played. There's been a lot of positive press about him this week, and I'd like for him to start to you know put put a string of these these performances together rather than you know it's kind of it would be typical if he if he picked up a knock wouldn't it you know sort of it seems like that's kind of been his been his career so yeah I'd that's really exactly like, what i'm yeah. saying like i think he needs a string yeah i think yeah. he needs a little bit of a run of good games yeah. and then we take it from there uh okay prediction allison uh 3-1 to the liverpool yeah 3-1 for me as well 4-2 to the Reds I'll tell you what you want, you want that Saturday night don't you uh, yeah. we'd, oh, be, yeah. we'd best be going out dance, uh, dance and all night thank you very much indeed for everyone who's contributed to the show today and especially those in front of me in the room to Alison to Steve and to Adam whatever you're doing this weekend well you've got that game to look forward to it should be an absolute belter I think that Arsenal put Liverpool under a bit of pressure but Liverpool will cruise away Sports Social Podcast Network